0: Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. And today I wanted to take a look at the influence of literature on the holiday season. And particularly, we're going to take a look at Washington Irving. In prior episodes of this podcast, I've talked a lot about the influence of Charles Dickens on the holiday season. But not a lot of people realize that Washington Irving... Had a tremendous influence on Victorian Christmas time. And a lot of the traditions that carry forward to today were inspired into becoming huge traditions that have carried forward in time by Mr. Washington Irving. So come along and join me. This will be a fun journey through history looking at holiday traditions. Washington Irving was born April 3rd, 1783, and he passed away in November of 1859. He was an American short story writer and essayist. He was also a biographer and a historian, and he was also a diplomat of the early 19th century. And he wrote a lot of famous stories that most people will Recognize when you hear the titles like Rip Van Winkle, which was published in 1819, and The Legend of Sleepy Hollow in 1820. Now, thanks to the legend of Sleepy Hollow, his creepy tale about an ungainly schoolteacher who vanished mysteriously in the woods, Washington Irving perhaps is better known to modern readers as kind of the author of Halloween because it was kind of the first Halloween story out there. But Washington Irving wrote much more about the Christmas season than is probably widely known by many readers out there and in fact he really enjoyed the yuletide season and he's often credited when you look back at the historians as being the one who created christmas in america as we know it now he didn't invent the holiday but he did take minor customs that were being practiced during the holiday and made them into major customs with his writing which circulated broadly and this somewhat enriched the whole family dynamic and the social togetherness of the season. One of Irving's biggest contributions to Christmas in America was his promotion of Saint Nicholas as a beloved character and the groundwork for the figure That we would eventually embrace in the United States as Santa Claus. Irving himself was somewhat of an unlikely and sometimes comic man who was more at home in his native New York City than any of the great capitals of Europe. And he wrote a book about New York City called The History of New York, which became a publishing sensation. And that book was conceived to be a parody on another author's work. And that other author was Samuel Mitchell, and his book was The Picture of New York or The Traveler's Guide Through the Commercial Metropolis of the United States. Now, Mitchell was a columbia medical professor and a u.s senator and he seemed to know everything about everything and irving wrote his book to kind of poke fun at mitchell's works about new york city and manhattan and he started creating fictional accounts of stories that happened in manhattan and it included a lot of tall tales and their origins Among Washington Irving's yarns was a story about the shipwreck of a Dutch scouting party on Manhattan, where one of its members received a vision in which good old Saint Nicholas came riding over the tops of the trees. He did so in a self-made wagon where he brought yearly presents to children. And so that was in this story. And so Nicholas tells the Dutch to settle on the island, and so St. Nick, in a sense, became the founding father of the most famous city in America, New York City. So this was Washington Irving's parody on New York and giving it a Christmas spin uh, in a way that uh, also poked fun at Mitchell's work on New York City and his writings on New York City. And Irving's affection for St. Nicholas proved pretty durable. In 1835, he helped found the St. Nicholas Society of the city of New York, and he served as his secretary until 1841. And beyond his interest in Nicholas, Irving advanced Christmas as the festive pageant of presents and feasting that now dominates the American winter calendar every year as part of our holiday season. Now, he traveled to England in 1815, and he wrote various personal and professional writings during this time while he was abroad until about 1832. And one of the works that came out of that is a book called The Sketch of Geoffrey Crayon. Um, and this greeted the American readers in 1819, and it contained a smattering of essays and short stories, including the iconic Sleepy Hollow story— And it also included stories of the Christmas holiday. And a number of these stories that were in the sketchbook became better known, and they had a greater impact on the American culture, and mainly it was due to a lot of the Christmas essays within that book. And Irving wrote that he had a fondness for old English Christmases. He enjoyed their dinners and their dancing and their singing and their decorations and the blazing fires and their air of good cheer amidst the general call to happiness and the bustle of spirits and the stir of affections which prevailed during that period. So as he's writing these essays and sending this work back to the United States, his home country, the homeland really started to embrace these holiday ideals from his writings, and they resonated with the public. Now, Charles Dickens later came along and refined it and tuned up the Christmas story in a lot of ways, and it really exploded after the Christmas Carol and his Christmas stories that followed it. But Washington Irving is often considered to be the one that laid the foundation for Charles Dickens' success in the United States because of the way that he promoted the customs of English Christmas celebrations in his works. And one of his famous books was called Old Christmas, Now, it was originally written during his lifetime from these sketches. It was published a few different times, but it became officially published and illustrated after he passed away in 1876. And it adhered as a treasured holiday writing for many years during the Victorian era. Now, if you go over to Gutenberg.org, they have a PDF version of this book available for free, and you're welcome to read it. It's full of merriment and stories about the old English Christmas. And the book, of course, is called Old Christmas, and it goes through about five or six different major chapters. One of them is called Christmas Eve. One of them is Christmas Day. And it Brings a lot of attention to the festivities of the time and of the holiday season over there. And I'm going to read you some of it here so that you kind of get a feeling for how this resonated with the public back home and how they wanted to embrace this in their own lives. Remember, during this time in the 1800s, there was no radio, there was no television. The written and spoken word were the main form of communicating, and people were very well read during this time. And writers and authors producing popular works received a wide distribution. So when something became popular as a written group of essays as in Washington Irving's works or, for example, Charles Dickens and all of the authors during that Victorian era, the books tended to see a vast and wide circulation and they had an influence on customs and culture of the time period. And Washington Irving's books circulated during this time period when Michigan was being founded and established in the Southwest Michigan pioneering era began roughly around 1831. And so Washington's Irving's books were getting circulated and carried with pioneers as they headed west into the frontier. Whatever they were carrying with them, they would carry their books with them from the east. And these publications were finding their way into the frontier territory. And as the Frontier communities began to become more and more established. You get into the 1860s, 1870s, a lot of these customs and traditions begin to take hold, and the books that they were conveyed in became the roadmap for how to celebrate the holidays. And so some of these ideas are going to sound very familiar to you. And I recently read An Old Christmas by Washington Irving and found it quite entertaining. So I'm going to read you some sections of Old Christmas so you can get a feel for how these works inspired people of the time period. And so in this chapter of Old Christmas, it's called Christmas Eve, and this group of travelers have just arrived at a place called Bracebridge, where there is an ongoing party in effect when they arrive, and they were there to join the Christmas party, and they first wanted to change out of their traveling clothes, but their hosts would not permit them to do so, and instead brought them into the gathering. So here's what Washington Irving writes about this. The family meeting was warm and affectionate. As the evening was far advanced, the squire would not permit us to change our traveling dresses, but ushered us at once to the company, which was assembled in a large, old-fashioned hall. It was composed of different branches of a numerous family connection, where there was the usual proportion of old uncles and aunts, comfortable married dames, superintenuated spinsters, blooming country cousins, half-fledged striplings, and bright-eyed boarding school. Hoydens. They were variously occupied, some at a round game of cards, others conversing around the fireplace. At one end of the hall was a group of the young folks, some nearly grown up, others of a more tender and budding age, fully engrossed by a merry game and a profusion of wooden horses, penny trumpets, Tattered dolls about the floor showed traces of a troop of little fairy beings who, having frolicked through a happy day, had been carried off to slumber through a peaceful night. When the mutual greetings were going on between Bracebridge and his relatives, I had a time to scan the apartment. I have called it a hall, for it had certainly been in old times, and the squire was evidently endeavored to restore it to something of its primitive state. Over the heavy projecting fireplace was suspended a picture of a warrior in armor standing by a white horse on the opposite wall hung helmet, buckler, and lance. At one end, an enormous pair of antlers was inserted in the wall, the branches serving as hooks on which to suspend hats, whips, spurs, and in the corner of the apartment were fowling pieces, fishing rods, and other sporting implements. The furniture was of a cumbrous workmanship of former days, though some articles of modern convenience had been added, and the oaken floor had been carpeted so that the whole presented an odd mixture of parlor and hall. The grate had been removed from the wide, overwhelming fireplace to make a way for a fire of wood in the midst of which was an enormous log glowing and blazing sending forth a vast volume of light and heat that I understood was the Yule Log, which the squire was particular in having brought in and illuminated on a Christmas Eve, according to ancient custom. So that kind of gives you a description of the setting that is created in this essay by Washington Irving. And he goes further into other descriptions. One of the things that he brings out in this story is the mirth and merriment of the evening. And one of the things that they used to do during the old English Christmases was to appoint somebody for the evening to be the Lord of Misrule. And this individual's purpose was to carry on the merriment and get everybody into all kinds of uh, games and having fun for the evening and to shed their adulthood and become children filled with merriment for the evening, basically. And that was the role of the Lord of Misrule. And they often were somewhat of the court jester, and they would throw on costumes and get everybody else to throw on costumes and march around and dress up like animals and basically prounce around very much like you might see a Punch and Judy show or something like that from the old uh, puppet shows. And that's what they did on the Christmas evening as part of the merriment, particularly on Christmas Eve and on Christmas Day. And during this time of year, there was the 12 days of Christmas. So they're one of the days was Christmas Eve, one of them was Christmas Day, but there was also all the way through New Year's. So these kind of celebrations were a long holiday season during that time, and it included everything from this sort of merriment with the Lord of Misrule, but it also included things like uh, Christmas candles and wreaths and, as time went on, Christmas trees and gift-giving and all sorts of things that we're so accustomed to today that found its way into Washington Irving's works that are defined and were greatly embraced by people back home as a wonderful way to celebrate the Christmas holiday. In addition to the merriment of the Lord of Misrule and those festivities. There was also the musical aspect of the Christmas holiday that Washington Irving describes, and he talks about the orchestras playing in small galleries and carol singing between the men and the women, and there was a lot of fiddle playing and all of these groups of cherubs, as he called them, that would engage in the holiday choruses of the time and sing at church and sing at the parties, and they would sing at Christmas gatherings. And so singing and music became a big part of Christmas time. And thus, we have a lot of the old English Christmas carols that became popular again during the 1870s and have remained with us through time. A lot of those carols that you sing around Christmas time date back to the 1800s. And Irving also mentions a lot of dancing as well as some dances that involved sword dancing from an old English custom. So they'd have these ceremonies with swords and dancing and it was kind of an interesting uh, thing. They called it the sword dance of the ancients and he describes that in there. But in addition to the dancing there was also this family feasting that happened as well as drinking. He's Describes here after the dance was concluded, the whole party was entertained with brawn and beef and stout home brewed. The squire himself mingled among the rustics and was received with awkward demonstrations of deference and regard. It is true, I perceived two or three of the younger peasants as they were raising their tankards to their mouths when the squire's back was turned, making something of a grimace and giving each other the wink. But the moment they caught my eye, they pulled grave faces and were exceedingly demure. With Master Simon, however, they all seemed more at their ease. His varied occupations and amusements had made him well-known throughout the neighborhood. He was a visitor at every farmhouse and cottage, gossiped with the farmers and their wives, romped with their daughters. And like that type of vagrant bachelor, the humble bee told the sweets from all the rosy lips of the country round. So you see this merriment went from house to house. It went from group to group, and it was just a community event Of Christmas time. And so it's very interesting to read Washington Irving's description of Old Christmas. And there's even a full chapter on the Christmas dinner that you can go into great detail about all of the. Descriptions that he has there on the table and the feast and the candles. And it was almost like a roadmap for how to celebrate Christmas, from everything from the cutlery down to the dinner dishes. And this was all brought back to America as, wow, this is wonderful, this sounds wonderful, we should do this ourselves. And it became very popular in the 1800s, even after Washington Irving passed away. His works resonated for the majority of the Victorian era and into the 1920s and 30s, and you see a lot of these traditions now that are part of our holiday traditions even today. And it's just kind of wonderful to look back at some of the lesser customs that Washington Irving was able to collect and make them into popular customs for all of us, and... I, for one, am so glad he did, because it kind of makes uh, Christmas time a lot more fun in a lot of ways. And I think over the years, people have added their own traditions and changed it. And, of course, Christmas music has changed over the time, and Christmas carols have been added and expanded upon, and there's all kinds of Christmas music. But the foundation of all of this Christmas idealism and Christmas celebration was laid by Washington Irving, it was built upon by other authors like... Charles Dickens and the Bront sisters and everybody who even mentions Christmas in any of their writings during that time, even Dr. Seuss with his Grinch that Stole Christmas had its foundations in a lot of the early Christmas writings of Washington Irving, that he brought back a lot of these old customs that had been established way back as early as the 1500s and 1600s in England. So it's just a a very interesting thing to look at, and it had a a profound impact on the pioneers that settled in southwest Michigan. And as it is December and it's part of the holiday season, I thought I would share some of this information with you today. So go check out... uh, Old Christmas, get yourself a copy of it. You can listen to it for free on a lot of audiobooks out there, or you can probably pick it up for free on Kindle, or just go to the gutenberg.org files, and I'll put the link... the book in the show note descriptions if you want to read through it. It's a little bit wordy. There's a lot of old style of writing in there, but as you navigate through it, you get all kinds of neat descriptions. And this book in the Gutenberg collection is illustrated with the original illustration. So it's quite beautiful to look at. And I just wanted to make sure that I included a little bit of a mention on Washington Irving in this podcast because of his influence on the Victorian era of Christmas time. And if you want to get a copy of Old Christmas, I'll put the link in the show note descriptions where you can get yourself one and read it online. A lot of great illustrations, and it's a lot of fun to go through if you have never read it before. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to leave a rating or review on whatever app that you are listening on. And we're coming close to the end of season two on this podcast. And I'll be announcing some changes coming up for season three in the early January episodes of the podcast. uh, Because I have some schedule changes starting in March. But I'll go into that in detail in a few weeks from now. And as always, if you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a rating or review on whatever app that you are listening on. You can also reach out to me at michaeldelaware.com. I'm always happy to hear from my listeners. And I wish you once again a very wonderful and happy and safe holiday season. And until next time, when we take another journey into yesterday and explore even more. Fascinating Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. Thank you for listening.